chapter 21, verse 33. I'll take a moment until it gets on the overhead. Someone yell at me when it's on the overhead. It's not on the overhead. I guess we're going to have to read our Bibles. Open up your Bible. All right? Until it gets on our overhead. (laughs) Starting in verse 33 of chapter 21. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there in the name of the Lord. Can you say with me, the everlasting God? And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines, chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand, the fire and the knife. So they, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, a fire in the wood. But where is the land for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. Can you say God will provide? God will provide. For himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. On top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, he shall, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. I have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sands on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Let's pray. Lord, overwhelmed by such faith, such trust, To give the only beloved son. We know God that this is just a foreshadowing of your great love and giving Christ for us God. And we thank you so much. But God speak to our hearts today. As Abraham was tested we know that we too in our life will be tested. Periodically you will come knocking on the door to see what's under the hood. Are we singing songs? 
Or is faith really alive in us? Do we really truly believe with all our heart as Abraham did? The Lord will provide. God, strengthen us today. Strengthen us in our life. God, open up our heart. Open up our mind to understand the things of the scripture we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Surely one of the most amazing stories you're going to read in the Old Testament. I mean, it's only the crucifixion of Christ really didn't get more outstanding than what we just read. The story really does stretch our understanding of God and his ways with his people to the limits. This is a real stretch. If you take back and just read these 18 verses, just in a a literary fashion, it it would stretch your understanding of who God is and, and his relationship to his people. Remember, Abraham was God's friend. He called him a friend. You might say Abraham was God's best friend. But yet, he calls him to sacrifice his son. Is this really necessary? Do we need such testing in order to really know that God really knows we love him? Does it have to be that severe? Isn't there an easier way to show our loyalty to God? Surely God can come up with something else. We read this and go, is God going to ask me something of this caliber in my life? Should I brace myself? These are the questions that naturally arise in our minds as we contemplate this short story, only 18 verses. Well, there's good news and there's really good news. There's no bad news as a Christian. Your sins are forgiven. Doesn't get better than that. So there's good news and then there's really good news. What do you want to hear first? Well, the really, really, really good news is that Christ did this for us. We can never offer the best of the best of the best. God offered the best of the best of the best. This is all a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. What God has done for us in Christ. We're never going to be asked to sacrifice our children. But because God loves us so much, at times, he will test us. And he'll test us to the limits. Get that right now. He's going to stretch our faith. You never know when he's going to show up. He wants to make us into something, church, that we would not be without this kind of testing. He's going to draw something out of Abraham. We're going to see it as we go through the text and the narrative tonight. We're going to see something that's motivating Abraham. And he wants that to be motivating us. And that is, do we truly believe God will provide? Do we really, really believe it? Do we sing Jehovah Jireh, my provider? The truth of the matter is God has to bring us to a place. We're not supermen and super Christian women. God has to bring us to that place. There's a trajectory to Abraham's faith. There's a trajectory to our faith. I remember playing football many years ago. And uh, there was a rite of passage playing for this team. You had to go through something called the circle. The circle had nothing to do with talent. It had nothing to do with gifting. It had everything to do with willingness and heart. It wasn't a pass or fail by a grade. You just had to survive it. And for about 15 to 20 minutes, you got beat up. Basically, that's what they did. They beat you up. Again, it had nothing to do with how talented you are. They just wanted to see you get off the ground and do it again. Get off the ground and do it again. It just showed perseverance, endurance, and a willingness to be part of the team. It was kind of crucial. It was kind of, it was kind of brutal, to be honest with you. 
but it served a purpose. It served a purpose. It gave a confidence both in yourself and your teammates and the coach that you belonged where you were. It was a confidence you carried with you, not just on the field, but off the field. It's something that just, just being talented doesn't give you, doesn't give it to me. Just being talented enough doesn't give you confidence. Being tested, going through the baptism of fire, that's where your confidence comes from. Amen, church? We're going to see that tonight. So we know that God does come across every once in a while, and he just shows up. Our story here in chapter 22, how many people know that, that story chapter 22? Do you know how it relates to chapter 21? Chances are you don't. You're going to get a little synopsis of that right now. I only read a couple of verses out of there, but 21 really sets the stage for what's happening in, 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 in this whole test of Abraham's faith, and does he fear God or not? I only read a couple of verses out of it, but I'll try to explain it to you. Abraham in that chapter, as in all the preceding chapters going back to chapter 12, uh, that relate to uh, Abraham's relationship with God, uh, he's in conflict throughout Abraham's whole life. In, as a matter of fact, Genesis, you can read Genesis, every chapter is, is conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. There's darkness, you have to bring light. Uh, there's the tree don't eat. Day eight, then you have to find salvation. So every chapter of Genesis, there's conflict. Sometimes there's three short stories going on in every chapter. And then God brings what? Resolution. Man never brings resolu- resolution. Man gets himself into the... God brings the... That's the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, it's the whole Bible. God brings resolution to our self-inflicted wounds. That's who God is. So that's what's going on over here. Uh, The great mega conflict over here is that God promised Abraham something when he was still home in his homeland, that if he left his land and went to a land that he did not know, and he sojourned there as a pilgrim, that God would give him not just the land, that God would give him a great nation. But the problem was, his wife was barren and they were old. But he got up under this promise of going to the foreign land, which he did. And for 25 years, guess who never came? No child. So after about 15 years, uh, Sarah, the wife, says, you know, Abraham, we're getting older over here. The promise of God's not coming through. How about you take my slave woman? Hey, I have a child with them. And then you'll have an heir. Abraham says, great idea. They have an eye. They, 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 Abraham sleeps with his concubine. They have a son. His name is Ishmael. Everything's happy and glorified. And uh, Well, they live in large. But there's a problem. Ishmael is not God's best. He's not the child of promise. God promised Sarah, the barren woman, and the old man Abraham, that they were going to have a child. In chapter 21, guess what happened? They had a child. Overwhelmed. A big party comes. Everybody's happy except guess who? Ishmael. The other son and the mother are not happy about this. For the last 10 years, they got all of Abraham's affection. They were promised the inheritance. They were living large. Now Isaac comes along and they're not happy about it. Conflict. Ishmael mocks Isaac. Hagar is mocked in Sarah. Not good. Resolution. God tells Abraham, get rid of the slave woman. Get rid of the child. I'll take care of them. Abraham does. Gets what? God took care of him. Resolution. There's another conflict going on with a man named Abimelech. 
King Abimelech, the Philistines, might not think much to you and me today, but that was, that was, uh, that was foreign policy to Abraham. Abraham was a pilgrim. He just journeyed around. He owned nothing that was all promised to him. King Abimelech, he's another person. He's the king of the land. And they're fighting over something. It's a well of water. I mean, you don't think much about water, but if you're living in the desert, in that place 2,000 years ago, no irrigation, and you own herds upon herds upon herds, hundreds and thousands of different sheep, goats, and everything else, you don't have water. Guess what happens? You die. Not to have peace with King Abimelech, understand, is devastating. It's devastating. So on the home front, we got domestic conflict. And on the national front, we got more conflict. Guess what happens? I'll give you a short version of it. It all worked out well. Abraham is living large. Conflict, resolution. Matter of fact, he says, you know, so I'm going to plant a grove. It says a tree, but it means a grove of trees. He says, I'm going to plant this. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to call upon this God that, that has saved me again, the everlasting God. It means the eternal God. It means the God of history, the God of the nations, the God of the universe. For the first time in his relationship with God, he calls him eternal God because for now, Abraham for the first time has an eternal perspective on life. He really sees God is in absolute full control of everything. And for 25 years, really probably closer to 30 years, Abraham lived in promise. Did you know the Old Testament is called promise and the New Testament is called fulfillment? Everything in the Old Testament is a promise. Under Christ, it's a fulfillment. Abraham was living under a promise for over 30 years of a child. Then the child came and he was overwhelmed. He's like, I'm living in fulfillment. You know what they say about hope deferred? It makes someone sick. But a promise received is like the tree of life. He's living like, he's got a plant. He's got to worship God. He's got to call upon the everlasting God. What a sign of living in the ideal. Life is good for Abraham. He's living large. He's living in a a huge land. He's living happy, peaceful. Sounds good, right? How many people would like that? It's into this life that God comes and says, listen, sacrifice yourself. That's why to understand 22, you have to understand the significance of where Abraham is in his life at the time. He's living in fulfillment. This is everything you promised God. You've given me land. You've given me peace with the Philistine kings. It's it's all going well, God. I I feel like retiring. That's what I feel like. I'm going to retire. Praise God. I'm going to kick back. Life is good. Got the everlasting God. He's looking over me. Got all my needs met. And then, Abraham, here I am, Lord. You see, you and I and everybody else know this is a test. Guess who doesn't know it's a test? Abraham does not know. this. Abraham's the only one who doesn't know it's a test. All believers know this is a test. He's living in stability, security. His relationship with God is at the 
at the pinnacle of its relationship, its trajectory. All our relationship with God is trajectory. When you're born again, you know you're saved, but do you really know who Christ is? Do you really know that Christ owns human history? Do you understand he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead? Do you understand who hung on the cross and died and rose again for you is no less than God? He's not the second person of the Trinity. He's not the second person on the totem pole. He's almighty God in control of every detail of our life. Do you know that when you're first saved? Of course not. You're experiencing Something wonderful. But it's through life. The learning curve. The trajectory of faith. That we go through these these trials of various kinds. Knowing that the testing of our faith. Produces endurance. And stability in our relationship. We're going to see this as we go on. He's had his aha moment. He's got eternal eyes. He know God can make a promise and fulfill it 30 years later when him and his wife are over 100 years old. Well past childbearing years. At 75 it would have been a miracle. But just to show you that God's in full control, he waits another 25 years. Sounds like God, right? Then out of nowhere God tests him. Sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love. Wow. His trust in God will be stretched to the limits. God gives no explanations, no disclaimer. There's no a dialogue going back and forth. It's do this, yes sir. That's it. His whole life, his whole identity is wrapped up in Isaac. His other son's gone, never to be seen again. Israel's gone, he's out of the picture. His whole life is wrapped up in Isaac. God makes no apology. Sacrifice your son and go die, Abraham, because your life is over. There's no starting again. Well over 100 years old. My other son, Israel's gone. He doesn't bat an eyelid. Your life is over. Or is it? Or is it? I ask all of us today. When God tests us, it can feel like it's over. But a question. Is it? Is there something deeper in this man of faith that he himself doesn't even know about? Is there something in you and I that we don't even know about yet? I say there is. And we're going to see it through Abraham's life tonight. Let's go to our text. Verses 1 and 2. One second. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. Abraham recognized God's tone when he said, Abraham, with an exclamation part. He knew, Abraham knew the tone of God's voice. Here I am. I don't want you to miss that. This wasn't Abraham. When my wife says Brian, I'm like, that's the Brian I can still watch another two minutes of golf. Or Brian, that means turn the TV off and get him off the couch. 
Husbands, are you with me? Children know that. Children know the tone. You know, put your stuff away. There's the put your stuff away the first time. There's put your stuff away the second time. Then there's put your stuff away the last time. And that's when they respond. Abraham knew by the tone of God's voice, something was serious. Step forward, of which he does. And he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer there as a burnt offering on the, one of the mountains of which I shall test you, tell you. The test, listen, it's an open book test. It's designed to see if Abraham truly fears God. That's what he says. Now, the angel says, now I know you fear God. That's what the whole test is about. A genuine reverence to honor God just by obedience to his word with no promise given of anything. Just pure obedience. That's it. That's how you know when you honor God. That's what the test is for. Does God control all things? Or do we need an ulterior motive to honor God? Does he revere God? Will he honor God? The test turns Abraham inside out for everybody to see. It uncovers what really makes this man tick. There's something in Abraham that he doesn't even know exists until it was put to the test. And that's what brings it out. It was in him already. The test didn't give it to him. The test revealed it. A test doesn't get you stronger. A test reveals what's in us. You don't get smart by taking a test. You better be smart before you take the test. The test reveals are we prepared? Are we prepared? What's the one principle that governs this man's whole life? What's the one principle that governs our life? Is it God? Here's the question. Abraham... What's the principle that governs your life? Is it just me? Or is it something else? Perhaps something I've given you. Say, your son. Is that the principle? Is it the giver? Or the gift? Is it what God can do for us? What God has done for us? Would we worship God with our whole strength, soul, and mind? If we had nothing? Is it the gift or the giver that makes him what he is? Why do we sing today? Why do we worship? Why do we tell people about Christ? Why do we get persecuted for? Why are we treated as strange and peculiar people? Is it just God? The test goes to reveal the quality of Abraham's faith. The death of how far a man would go just to obey God. There's no salary cap on faith. You know what a salary cap is? Salary cap in basketball, a team, an owner can only pay a basketball player a certain amount of money. Then after that, you can't pay them no more. There's a cap. That's like we're saying, God, you, you can ask me just about anything, but don't ask me for everything. Christians, we can have that mentality and not even realize it. There could be a cap on our faith. I'll go this far, but listen, God, I'll come to church every other week or every third week, or I'll give you something, but I won't give you it all. I'll give you something, but don't. There's a cap on my faith, God. I'm not going to go all the way. 
Will he murmur? Will he complain the whole way there? Or will he drop everything just to please God? Just to please God. That's it. There's nothing in it now. God didn't promise him anything. He just said, go say. He didn't say, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Just go sacrifice. You see, up until now, God's dealing with Abraham for the last 10 chapters. Came with a promise. Everything Abraham did in obedience and responsible obedience, listen, came because God promised him to make him a great nation, a great man, give him a son. This is the only time now there's no promise to motivate him and get him through the challenge in time. As a matter of fact, God is taking everything from him. God never made a promise here. There's no stipulation. Go sacrifice all your hope. Go sacrifice all your dreams. Go sacrifice your very self because there's no promises attached to Abraham. I'm not saying if you do this, I'll do this. No, 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 no. No promises at all. Just pure obedience for obedience sake. You see, this what this what reveals genuine reverence for God, that he's just God. God wants to get Abraham, all of Israel, you and me, to a place where Jesus walked this earth. It was just pleasing God, period. That's it. Even if it cost him his life on the cross to die for sinners, to be separated from God for eternity for a moment, somehow, some way, when he suffered at the cross, somehow, he gave it all up just out of pure obedience. Sure, we know for the joy set before him, it got him through, but that's not what was the motivating factor. The motivating factor was just to please God. Pure obedience. This is the kind of testing that removes all ulterior motives. We live in a society that pays each other off. Do you know that? How many parents tell their children, do this and you'll get your allowance? It makes it easy, right? We pay people. We're always doing something to secure the obedience. Parents do this all the time. Husbands and wives can do this all the time. Bosses can fall into it. But it shouldn't be that way. When God says do something, that's it. You don't murmur. You don't complain what's in it for me. God says do things that sometimes go against the grain. Pastor John spoke about this just a couple of weeks ago, last week. You need to Love me more than anything else, even yourself. You need to die to self and pick up your cross and follow me. The rich young man, when he had that opportunity to follow Christ, he didn't follow him. He went away sad because he was wealthy. Your son, your only son, whom you love. It's not just any son, it's not Ishmael, it's your only son of whom you love. These words are repeated throughout the whole text to heighten the intensity of the test. There was no other way for Abraham to show his love for God. What is at stake here is not the price tag, it is just willingness. That's what's at stake here, just willingness. It's not the price tag, it's not how much. It's just willingness. That's what's at stake. 
Children need to be trained to be willing. How many parents can say that their children are spontaneous, obediently spontaneous all the time? Don't you know, let me tell you something, when God saves us, no, we're spoiled. We're spoiled children. We want salvation and we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want everything nice and easy. We want the ideal of, of the everlasting God. I, I want to live under that place where everything is going well. I don't want to be tested. I don't want to be asked to give anything else. I don't want to go the extra mile. I don't want to turn the cheek. I just, I just, want, to, well, I just want the convenient Christianity. How's that sound? I would like that. Go tonight, 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, about, you'll hear that on television somewhere. You'll hear that kind of theology. Somewhere on TV, you're going to hear something that's, wow, this sounds good. My goodness. That's not the God of Abraham. It's not the God of Paul. It's not the God of the Old Testament. It's not the God of the New Testament. And it's not the God of Jesus Christ. So he goes on to saying, 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to a place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Abraham, with childlike faith, does not hesitate. He follows the command through and quickly. For three days he travels to a specific place known only to him. His thoughts, think about the thoughts. He must have such conflicting thoughts. His only son, the son he loved, he knows what it cost. He dies, it's over. It's over. It could never work out. My future can never go forward if I do this. I remember me and my wife had this nice car. Nice brand new car. And we found out if you if you insured upstate, you can save a lot of money. Like a lot of money. Instead of paying twenty five hundred this is this is twenty-five years ago. You could pay like six, eight hundred dollars. I was like, all right, let's do it. So we schemed. And we did it. And for three years we got three cars stolen. Honestly, flat tires, stolen tickets. So just one day we say, you know, we can't do this no more. We bought another car because the other one got stolen. <laughs> and, and so we're like, you know, we can't do this no more. The conviction was too much on us. So instead of paying uh, $1,200 a year upstate, now we're paying $4,200 a year. All right, this is almost $365. I don't remember, $365 a month we had to pay. But we wanted to honor God. Never got a flat tire in 20 years. Never got a ticket. Never got a stolen car again. Have no trouble. Drive a nice car. Praise the Lord. He could take it. He could say, Brian, I want the Lexus tomorrow. He could say that. It's his. Here's the point. God loves obedience. You can't outgive God. That was, that was a stretch. That was a stretch to pay that kind of money for us. But we wanted to honor God more than anything. And it was sweet. <coughs> Honoring God with those kind of sacrifices is sweet. Yep. Sweet. My wife got a ticket. <laughs> did I get a ticket once? I think I did, right? Did I get away with it? Okay. I think I got one ticket. But, 
I don't want to get too super spiritual over here, but the point is that it's sweet to honor God with a heavy sacrifice. That's only one of many. But the point is, there's something nice. There's something special when you honor God, when the world says don't do this. Your family says don't do this. The insurance company says you don't have to do this, but we have to do it. You have to do it. So he's there for three days. He's going. He's got his conflicting thoughts. He has no comfort. Please, there's no, there's no happiness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost right now. The, the, the felt absence of God is there. He does not feel the presence. He does not feel the hope. He was numb on the inside. He's feeling nothing all the time. This gives him great time to maybe reconsider. Maybe he's got buyer's remorse. Maybe, hmm, maybe I jumped into his contract a little too soon. This three-day journey is a time to... Hmm, uh, Maybe there's another way around this, God. How about Israel? Let's get Israel back. It will sacrifice him. No, let me tell you something. This three-day journey goes to show that this was no knee-jerk reaction to the word of God. This is not some kind of emotional religious experience. I'll do anything for God, Pastor. I'll do anything. Peter said that. I'll even die with you, Lord. Yeah, sure. Peter had no idea what was in him. He had a knee-jerk emotional reaction to the word of God that he would go to death and then he couldn't even take the rebuke of a slave girl. The rooster crows three times and he's, oh. <laughs> not, not, not so much Abraham. This is a real thought-out commitment. This man was resolute in his heart. He had a determined faith. He thought about it. He had time to renege. He had time to buy his remorse. He had time to turn back. He had time to plead with God. He had time to murmur. He had time to complain. But he didn't say anything. And there's a reason he said nothing at all. And this is why, verses 6 to 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on eyes of the sun. And he took his hand... He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they, both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I, am, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. You see, through the inquiry of his son, we see this great principle of faith. That the Lord will provide. This whole three day journey with his son that he loved. Which he probably cherished more in these three days than ever before. All his conflicting thoughts was tempered by this one great article of biblical faith. God supplies what he asks for. No matter how high the standard is. When God asks, God supplies. God will provide. God will provide. Somehow, some way, unbeknownst to Abraham, God was supplied a sacrifice. That was the driving point of his heart. That was in him that he didn't know was there until God tested him. There was a faith that was inside Abraham that it took the test of this magnitude to bring out. God will provide. No murmuring, no complaining, resolute in heart, resolute in spirit. Not trying to find an easier, not trying to find a softer way, determined in his heart to obey God right to the end because he knew God would provide. He didn't say how, he just knew he would provide. Do you know how important that is as a Christian today? Sometimes that's the only answer we have. 
Sometimes I stand before people in counseling going through hard times and all I can tell them, God will provide. I don't know the answer. Is it a doctor? Is it a miracle? Is it medication? I don't know. But God will provide for you. And I ask him, can you believe that? Can you believe God will provide? The righteous never beg for bread. God provides. Abraham never tested God by saying how. Or could it be according this way? Could you provide this way? Maybe on the second day I'll find the ram. How about when I'm going up the mountain I'll find the ram. No, he's got to wait till the knife is coming down on the child. Now I know Abraham. Isaac was good as dead to Abraham. There are times in our life that we cannot see the end result. As Christians, we're going to go through those times. We have to leave the details to God when we're going through this life's journey. This is the point of the whole test. God knows already what's in Abraham. Abraham never knew he had such faith and trust in God. God draws it out in the open for all to see. I remember my wife probably 17, 18 years ago when she went through cancer, went through the chemotherapy. No hair. Looked like a little boy. Every Sunday on the worship team with the bandana worshiping Christ. We didn't know at the end. We had no idea. But we knew God would. That's all I know. I remember sitting there having dinner with Kim and John. And sitting there, she didn't see I was there. I'm holding back the tears. And I just like, God, you know the end. You'll, you'll take care of it. I couldn't say do this and do that. I, 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 there's no bargaining with God sometimes. You, you, you're raw. You're empty. You have nothing to offer but Christ. That's all you have is Christ. You see, Abraham could say God would provide. But Abraham can't say something that you and I could say. God has provided. God has provided. God has shown me his best. Abraham didn't see God's best yet. He was looking forward to the cross. We're looking back to the cross. I know God provides. He gave his only son. Paul says if he did not spare his only son, will he not now give us all things in Christ Jesus? Is he going to leave us and forsake us all of a sudden? He's given me the best. The whole point. He goes on. 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. 14. When they came to the place of which God told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the place, the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. We finally arrive at the place of sacrifice, Mount Moriah, God's mountain, the mountain of God. And Abraham follows the word of God right up until the point of the descending blow with the knife. And if you read it, when you read it, it's like slow motion. You can almost see the whole scene happening. Time-lapse photography. Still by still by still by still. You can see the face. You can see Abraham's grimace. As far as Abraham is concerned, Isaac is already dead. What's about to transpire never entered Abraham's mind. In the nick of time, in the nanosecond, God stops Abraham. Mission accomplished. God's search is over. Abraham passes the test. God knows he fears him. But a question has to be asked. Doesn't God know everything? Didn't God know what Abraham was going to do? Was God not sure? Is God blind? Is he not omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent? Of course he is. You see, understand something. What the omniscient mind of God knows concerning future things and future acts is not the same as tasting it in time and space and in action. To know something in theory and know something in practice are two different things. What God knew and thought, he now tastes in time and reality. This is something special to God. Adam failed to obey God. One might say easily that Abraham's a second Adam. He's a type of Adam. He's a type of Christ in his obedience to God. Let me use my wife as another example. Actually, Terry's grandmother. When we were about 25, 26, beautiful day like this Saturday, she would tell me, let's go see Sitto. That's grandma. I got to be honest with you. I want to go golf. I'm too self-consumed over here to go see your grandma. But I would. She was blessed every time we walked in. It's a learning lesson. I wish I knew then at 28 what I know at 55. How it pleased her when we walked in. Did she know Terry loved her? Of course. But she tasted how sweet it was when she came. You know, we can tell God all the time, God, you know my... That becomes a Christian cliche. That's less than satisfying after a while. Sometimes we've got to stand up and say, God, you know my heart. And no matter of fact, I'm, I'm kind of lazy, God. You know, I can't use this anymore. I've got to get up and I've got to obey you, God. It tastes good. Now, God's not some lonely grandfather sitting in a wheelchair. But there is a satisfaction that goes with God when his children obey him purely out of obedience and safe. Something pleasing to him. The Lord will provide. Abraham creates a memorial. It's another aha moment, another defining experience that changes his view of life. It changes his view of God. It changes his view of his relationship with God now. 
God the eternal one who holds the future, who holds history, who holds nations accountable, also controls the details of every believer's day-to-day life. Think about your life right now. What were the troubles you walked in here with today? Financial? Physical? Healthies? How about social issues? How about uh, national security? What's the flavor of the day? What's the worry of the day? How would you really like to walk in this kind of faith? God will provide. God's in the details of our life. It's yours. It's mine. We can have it. There's a trajectory to faith. He controls the details of our life. We mean more to God. Our future means more to God than it does to you and me. Your loved ones mean more to God than it means more to you and me. Our health, our prosperity, whatever it is, means more to God than it means to us. Abraham is sharing the gift of faith. And for the better part of 3,500 years, this man has stimulated faith. And the writer of Hebrews uses Abraham, but at the end of it, he doesn't say, look to Abraham. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Abraham was only a type of the great sacrifice, Jesus Christ. I love Abraham. I love to read him. I love to read David. I love the, I, I get stimulated. But at the end of the day, I don't leave church saying praise God for Abraham. I leave church saying praise God for Jesus Christ. The story of Abraham puts me to Christ. He points me to Christ. The ultimate sacrifice. Some fast application will close. Trajectory of faith. Many times God will bring us to a place that these aha moments, they're defining moments in the Christian life. You have to look for them. You have to recognize that God is calling me to do something that the world says is crazy. You shouldn't do it. But you stay resolute. Without a murmur, without a complaining. You bring it to the Lord. Knowing that the Lord will... That's the way to do it. There's a trajectory. There's a, a learning curve. Second point. Abraham was very comfortable living with the ideal. Uh, under the everlasting God. He can never imagine that God was going to lay something before him. To show him that there was more to Abraham than meets the eye. There's more to you and me. In us because of Christ. Because of the Holy Spirit in us. That our friends and our neighbors and acquaintances and workers. And other members. It's in us. Let God draw that kind of faith out. That resolute God will provide no matter what type of faith. When does sacrifice of this magnitude enter into our faith? When does walking with Christ cost something? When's the last time you had to come to a place of deep prayer and fasting and, and seeking counsel and asking someone to pray with you because you're going to a, you don't want to turn back. You want to obey God. No matter what, you want to obey God. You don't want anything to be a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, I'll do it then a week later. What did I do? I shouldn't have. No, no, you want it to be God. I'm in it. I can feel it. I got skin in the game. It's, it's costly. The sacrifice is costly. And everybody's telling me don't do it. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I wouldn't want to live like that every day. But time for time, God's going to show up. I want you. I don't know what it is. You fill in the blanks. But God is showing up. Tone. 
4. There are times you're going to hear a sermon, you're going to read the Word of God, and there's going to be such urgency in it, such reality in it. There are times when the Holy Spirit takes just a sermon and, and it shakes you up from the inside out that you know God is saying, I'm speaking to you, Brian. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. You should leave church, maybe not every Sunday, but throughout the years you'll leave church saying, I know that message was for me. God is speaking to my heart. I can hear the tone in his voice. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the living and enduring word of God that tests us, refines us, sharpens us, reveals the thoughts and intentions of our heart because the word of God is alive and active, able to cut through soul and heart as easily as a knife can go through marrow and flesh. God, let this word reveal who we are, but more important, reveal where you want to take us in a life of faith, God. God, I pray for all of us at Sonship Ministry, that we are a people resolute in our commitment to you, that inside us there is something that knows that we know that we know no matter what God will provide. In his name I pray.